the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation. The true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and his eternal kingdom with earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again with Season Watch. And of course, we're going to start with prayer. Uh, Jesus, we sure see a lot of things happening in the world and in our nation that um, are drawing people away from you. They're pointing to the things of this world and not the things of you. And I believe that uh, so many people just need to return to you with their whole heart and to just know, God, that um, you will care for them and watch over them. And so we just ask you to be in our lives, be in our midst today and guide us. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, friends, last episode, we discussed why Jesus needs to resurrect from the dead because we just had Easter or Resurrection Day. I hope you had an amazing one a little while ago. And we concluded that one of the reasons that Jesus had to rise from the dead was to provide many infallible proofs to the disciples and to the world. And that makes sense because in order for God's new covenant and promises of eternal life through Jesus to have a great uh, and centuries-lasting impact on this dark and dying world— He had to provide spectacular, earth-shaking evidence that the generations to come would be able to hold on to, right? We're still talking about it, this amazing thing of rising from the dead. And we talked last time about the many infallible proofs of that it actually happened. And so it was necessary to fulfill prophecy that Jesus was raised from the dead also and to be seen by those who loved and followed him and to have that true hope and to know for sure, that they can have hope in what Jesus had done. And of course, there must be a resurrection or Jesus was just a man like any other man, right? Uh, Any other noble man doing a noble deed, but uh, there's no promise in the death of an ordinary man, as no matter how noble he is. So in addition to providing many infallible proofs today, we're going to look at the theological reasons. All right? So friends, fasten your truth belts as we discuss why the resurrection to restore all things. Woohoo! All right. And so to understand this, let's look at what happened in the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. That was a bad day. Uh, beginning on verse 11. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then Adam said, because you have, oh, then he said to Adam, I'm skipping to verse 17, uh, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat it all the days of your life. 
both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of your face shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for of it you were taken, and dust you are, and to dust you shall return." Right, so that's the unfortunately the the curse of death. Right, so we lost a lot in the fall. Among many other things, we're gonna we realize that we lost our spiritual covering. That's why he said, you know, you're naked. Right, they thought they felt they were naked because they were spiritually naked, um, which means that we experience a spiritual death. We also experience a physical death. Right, when he says you return to the ground. And then that all creation was put under the curse of death and corruption, right? So he cursed the ground for your sake. So everything came under the curse of death. And we know this is true because we read this in Romans 8, starting at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation, creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God or the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Woohoo! That's when we get delivered, right? For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the spirits, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the ad- adoption the redemption of our body, right? So we recognize that although we are spiritually redeemed because of our hope in Jesus, we groan, right? Our body's grown. We All of creation is still under the oppression of corruption, right? Nothing has actually been reset yet. So therefore, Jesus became the first fruits as evidence to us that redemption uh, that uh, uh, of that redemption as we return to, if we look at 1 Corinthians 15 again, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, first fruits. afterward those who are Christ's at his coming, I hope it's soon, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that we will be destroyed is death. That is an enemy in God's mind, and he he's destroying it. And Jesus is the sign of that. Jesus' death atoned for our sin, and through acceptance of his payment, we receive a quickening of the spirit or a new life and redemption of our souls to God. So this is what Jesus meant when he said in Nicodemus in John 3, 3, as you all know, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? So our spirit died with the corruption of sin. So Jesus gives us his life to redeem and wash it and make it alive again. But God created us to be a physical being and to live on the earth, not just a living spirit. And so we saw in Isaiah 45, 18, uh, this, this observation. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be 
inhabited. I am the Lord, there is no other. So Jesus redeemed our soul, but they created, God created the earth to be inhabited. He's not going to just throw it out and say, okay, let's just have spiritual bodies then. So uh, this is part of Jesus's redemption, not just our soul, but he also redeemed our bodies. And therefore, he had to resurrect from the dead to give us his promise. And it's all to fulfill the prophecy to Satan in the garden, right? Remember Genesis 3.15? He said to Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there's a prophecy. First of all, Satan has a seed. Remember how Jesus talked about that? He says, you're of your father, the devil, and you always do his things, right? He was a liar from the beginning and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So there's actually people who are who are committed in their hearts to follow Satan or give themselves over to Satan. And that's Satan's seed, right? Because they're following him. But we're actually the seed of of Jesus. We're the seed, the offspring of Jesus through his redemption by being born of a woman, right? And so, uh, so man born of a woman, perfect without sin, was set to redeem all of humanity from corruption. As Psalm 49 reveals, starting in verse 7, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit, right? So the redemption is the soul, and not just the soul, but the whole body. And the Bible explains why it had to be done this way. If we look at Hebrews 2, it's such a fascinating passage, beginning in verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's us. It's the fear of death that Satan uses to bring us into bondage, to to use the fear against us and the decisions that we make and to do the wrong things, to fall into sin. And so uh, Jesus became a human to destroy death and the works of death uh, by, by dying himself. Isn't it beautiful? And uh, we see the principle also explained in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, right? So he destroyed the works of the devil by nailing our sins, our indictments to his own cross as his indictments. He took them on and paid for them. And in doing so, he triumphed over death and destroyed death, right? So we see also 1 John 3 when he explains in uh, verse 8, whosoever sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil, right? That was a whole purpose. All the prophecies fall together. So it was necessary for Jesus to defeat our great enemy, death, and in order to fulfill God's prophecy to crush the authority of Satan and redeem humanity and all of creation from the curse and corruption of sin and death, 
by restoring eternal life, right? Nothing is supposed to die. Nothing was ever supposed to die. Jesus overcame and destroyed death, the works of the devil, in order to restore eternal life. So Paul explains that process in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at uh, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, hurry up, Jesus, (laughs) for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible body must put on incorruption, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, right? Jesus is overcoming the death with his victory. And it says, verse 55, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where's your victory? Nowhere. Jesus, Jesus beat it. And then 56, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he overcame everything that was lost in the garden, right? And so Jesus replaces the curse of death by reclaiming authority or dominion over creation for us. He does it for us, right? If you see in Ephesians Ephesians 1, chapter 13, nope, Ephesians 1, verse 13, (laughs) in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory, right? So it's a deposit. God put a deposit for our eternal life inside of us with his Holy Spirit. So we're alive spiritually. And that's the promise that we will be also redeemed physically. Uh, Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion that every name is, is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all, right? So he's the head of all things. He took dominion over all things, all of creation. And so we see Jesus crush the power of sin and death by raising his own body to life. And he replaced Adam as the head of creation to bring those who believe into eternal redemption of our mind, our soul, and our body totally complete. He redeemed. It's like the big reset button for those who believe. I, I love that. Whenever I play a video game and I would like die three times or whatever, and I'd be sad. And if I didn't, if I just go, okay, reset. I'm going to try again. God hits the reset button, but it's even better. So um, just a few later, uh, verses later, we see in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, we see Paul explains that, um, and so it was written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, The last Adam, Jesus, was made a quickening or life-giving spirit. And so it's interesting because this references um, how Jesus became a life-giving spirit. That points to the work of creation as part of the triune God. You remember Genesis 1 and 2. So we look in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over all the earth. 
And so we see, let us make man in our image, and God, that word God is Elohim, which is, you may realize, is is indicative of a God where there's three or more parts in one. El is God, Elohim, Im is a plural. So it means three or more in one. If it was the Ein ending, like Stein, then it would be two in one, right? So um, so we see right from the beginning, God declares these three in one, his triune nature. And we know that Jesus was um, the creator, which is said in John. So we look then at Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So Jesus, as our creator, was born to die in our place in order to restore our eternal souls and therefore and thereby restore our dominion of creation through him. He quickens us just as he did on the day of creation. He quickens our spirit again. And this is why Jesus was manifest to become the new firstborn of creation and redeem us all, as said in Psalm 89. Uh, starting in verse 19, then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have laid help upon one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him, which is what the my Messiah is, anointed one. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, and my covenant shall stand firm with him and his seed, and I will also make uh, and his seed I will make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. So we see God had to choose someone from the people, but who he chose is who he foreordained. Isn't that beautiful? And so Paul explains in Romans 5 how Jesus' death and resurrection restores our eternal souls to God. So starting in verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son so much more, Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Uh, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned, and just as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So eternal life, everything is given to us. All the gifts are necessary um, for he's is necessary that he died and rose again to deliver all the gifts to us. And so the promise that God gave in the garden at our fall is fulfilled in Jesus's resurrection. And now we eagerly wait that day of restoration, as uh, Paul talks about in Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> According to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. Uh, so we see our hope is not in this world. Remember, Jesus told his disciples that though we continue in the world, we are no longer of the world. And so, friends, listen, we err when we accept salvation with our only hope that we'll go to heaven one day when we die. That is not the end of our hope. There's actually no hope or joy in this world of itself. We were not redeemed to live a comfortable, self-gratifying life in this world, but 
without our eyes on the hope to come. So you can enjoy the gifts of this world, but this can't be the end of it. You can't just go, oh, I'm live my little life, and I'm going to go about my things, and I'm going to have an honorable life, and then I'm going to go to heaven. No, because then, then, then we work too hard to keep this life good, and we can't do that. Uh, restoration is in God, is God's greatest hope. He wants to restore. We have to have our eye on that final restoration. And no human was able to restore creation, yet creation was given to humans. So listen to this. God lowered himself and entered time. He became subject to his own creation under the curse and subject to all the darkness of human and satanic corruption in order to become a human and accomplish it for us, that we might inherit his promises through him. Now, that's tremendous love, isn't it? That he entered a key. Imagine, it's like if you were, um, if you wrote a movie script and you created this movie and, you know, there you go, you're watching the movie and the movie's great. And then one day, boom, you have to be in the movie and your subject, like it's a real thing, like that's your life. And God, God is outside of it, outside of all of this, and yet he entered into this disaster that we've made so that he can save us, and that's a beautiful promise. And so if we look at, um, at John's description of when Jesus receives his inheritance of creation, we see it's a beautiful moment in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation 5 verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with the seven seals. And when I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look on it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look on it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. So friends, this life is not the life that God intended for us, but this process was necessary in order to offer free will to humanity. When we look at at the moment that Jesus takes the scroll and we realize it could not have been done without his tremendous sacrifice, humbling himself, forever being the lamb slain for the foundation or the from the foundation of the world. We see the tremendous love that he has for us. If we look at Daniel um, in chapter 7, we see another description of the Messiah receiving the inheritance on our behalf and uh, to, to begin the thousand-year reign. So we see Daniel 7, beginning in verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, his wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousands and thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. 
and the court was seated, and the books were open. Verse 13, And I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near to him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, is one that shall never be destroyed. Verse 27, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And so these promises is the promise of the transfer of all creation to the Messiah. And in doing so, he redeems it for us. He did it on our behalf. He was content. He and God and the Holy Spirit, the Father, they were content as they were, but they wanted a creation to love. And so we see that the, that there's nothing that this corrupt world has to offer that is worthy of our hope. This world is a dead end. And we see in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all of that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we must be willing to trade whatever he asks of us in this world in order to invest in and build his eternal kingdom. The resurrection of Jesus means the resurrection of our earthly bodies into an eternal kingdom, which is the inheritance of those who love him above all else. And we see Revelation 26 Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Right? And so then we see that God restores creation even better than before. Jesus says in uh, Revelation 21, verse 5, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these things, for they are faithful and true. So please remember, God's going to defeat death and throw death and hell into the lake of fire. He's going to take away all pain and sorrow. That's our hope. Our inheritance is in the one who is the Son of God and the Son of Man, the kinsman redeemer of all humanity for those who trust in him, right? And he is the firstborn of all creation on our behalf. He suffered death for us, and we must trust in him. And it had to be this way. We chose him humbly to devote our love to him because he first loved us. Yet he, God himself, who was born a man, paid the price to redeem us. It was a costly price. But behold, he makes all things new for those who love him. Please put your hope in that. So we can endure these days with a proper perspective. And until next time, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.